Good morning. What a privilege to be here and worship together and to give you the word of God. I would like to invite you to open up your Bibles, if you can, or your cell phone, whatever. In the book of Ecclesiastes, and I have to start three questions for you guys. The first is, you can raise your hands. How many of you have ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? Raise your hand. Okay. Second, how many of you have actually studied the book of Ecclesiastes? Okay, reading and studying. Raise your hands. Okay. Now, how many of you who read or studied actually understood the book of Ecclesiastes? Raise your hands. Okay. Quite a feel like you're just shy, right? Okay. So if you have read the book of Ecclesiastes, perhaps you know some of these verses, right? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Even some folks that are no Christians, they know this kind of text. Or this one. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. That's Jesus' words in the New Testament, right? Quoting Ecclesiastes. But what about these? Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. That's true, but isn't it weird? Like, we are talking the, about the Bible, right? God's word. And this preacher, he brings, like, even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Okay. <laughs> and actually, that's what the American novelist, the famous author of Mob Dick, Herman Melville, he said of the book of Ecclesiastes, this is the truest of all books or the weirdest book of the Bible in terms of how honest and sometimes unorthodox, to be quite honest. Another scholar said that Ecclesiastes is a kind of a backdoor that allows believers to have the sad, skeptical thoughts that we usually do not allow to enter the front door of our faith. This is the back door where we can be honest about all the struggles we have. And sometimes as Christians, we have to maintain our facade saying, God is good all the time, right? And we say this, but Ecclesiastes is a little bit more honest than we are. Or you can think about questions like this. What is the meaning of life? Or why am I unhappy? Does God really care? Why is there so much suffering and injustice in the world? Have you ever asked these questions to yourself, to God, or heard other people, Christians or not, asking those same questions? That's Ecclesiastes. 
And then we come to the authorship of the book, which like when you read all the commentaries or books on Ecclesiastes, they are all fighting about who is the author. Is this Solomon? And we have to be orthodox, right? Is this Solomon or is another guy? We have chapter 1, verse 1. It says, these are the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. There's no mentioning of Solomon. I'm not saying it's, it isn't Solomon. But these are the words of the preacher. The author wants to be recognized as the preacher. Or chapter 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And what is the message? The message of the book is this. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity. This word, word vanity, shows up like 38 times in this book. I was talking to Dan the other day, and he was like, oh, you're preaching Ecclesiastes? Is there any vanity word in your sermon? I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, you're preaching right. <laughs> That's the point. Vanity. This Hebrew word, you can be... You can translate this as vanity or futility or meaningless. But actually, brothers and sisters, the Hebrew world and the vocabulary is not abstract as ours. They always have an illustration for the word. So some authors have said that this means like a hot smoke, and you can think you're trying to grab a smoke, but you, it's kind of a, it's there. You can see that, but when you try to touch it, you just can't. Or striving after the wind, that's a good illustration for that. Or imagine kids playing with bubbles. Or... Even in Hebrew scholar, and sprouts are gone, right? And Hebrew scholar said this word could be used sometimes as flatulence. Isn't it a vapor as well? You can see, you can smell it, but you cannot touch it, right? That's vanity. Come on, Pastor. <laughs> Or you can imagine, like, I was reading a, a parable of a king, and he was talking to one of his advisors, and he was like, man, I need a saying in my crowd that can help me whether I am facing joy or facing struggles. I just need something written in my crown here that can make me endure the happy state or the bad state. And this wise man said, you should put in your crowd, it is all temporary. That's vanity. Whether you're happy, whether you're sad, it's all temporary. It's all going to pass. That's what we have in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, right? For everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. I remember it was just surfing the web and 
for you guys that use Twitter, there is a account or a page at Twitter. The name of the account is Daily Death Reminder. And every single day, the only post or the only text is, you will die someday. And every single day, for every person that subscribed to that account, you're being reminded every day, you're going to die someday. And I was like, okay, I'm using this. I want to be reminded I'm going to die. Please do it. Because we forget, right? We think we are eternal. In, in, in the sense that doesn't matter what you're doing. It's all temporary. So again, the authorship, is it Solomon? I would say it's vanity to find out. Because even the author is not trying to present himself as Solomon or using his name. If you're missing the message, it's vanity to find out who wrote this. The author is the preacher. The preacher means like Ecclesiastes means the one that gathers the assembly. That's the word for church, ecclesia. But not so much like a teacher in a classroom, but a preacher in the church. I would say that Ecclesiastes could be like the only book of the Bible written by a pastor in a Monday morning. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes, or you can say this, this is kind of the book that a preacher writes right after he preached and he talks to his wife, how was the sermon? And that's Ecclesiastes. (laughs) There's a tension. We've been seeing messages In Genesis, and we have this tension of mercy through justice or judgment. We are called, the preacher is trying to speak truth. And sometimes truth just hurts. Perhaps you can talk to the preacher later and he says, well, you're not obeying Ephesians 4, like speaking the truth in love. You're just throwing all of this vanity, vanity all the time. So there's this tension of fear and anxiety, the problems because of sin and the fall. You can remember Genesis, Adam, what happened with Adam after he sinned? He tried to hide because he was afraid. We have this in Scripture. Genesis 3, 10, I heard the sound of the Lord in the garden, and I was afraid, and I hid myself. Adam was in the garden. He was hiding. And although grace came, And the promise of salvation through the Messiah, we saw this. That doesn't mean Adam could stay in the garden. Isn't that right? There's a promise of salvation. There's grace for you. But life isn't going to be the same. You're out of the garden. You're not allowed to be in here anymore. 
Ecclesiastes shows us some of the applications or implications of the fall. That's why we have another saying, under the sun, 29 times in this book. It's, it's like a, after the sin, after the fall, a line has been drawn between God and humankind. We have this in Isaiah. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear do, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So we have Adam hiding, but now we have God somehow hidden from humankind under the sun. I was thinking about that, and I couldn't help but think about is the author of Ecclesiastes somehow a Michigander writing this book during the winter? <laughs> like, you cannot see the sun for a couple of days, and you're just so sad. I remember talking to Pastor Timothy by December, and I was like, man, I'm, 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 I'm not sleeping well. I'm just tired. And he was like, winter? <laughs> you you got to have some vitamins. I was like... Thank you. I was thinking, am I sinning? Am I hiding something? <laughs> Under the sun, there's this tension. And nowadays, we have lots of churches and preachers just consider like the prosperity preachers. Just be positives. Coach theology, saying what people only want to hear, not what they need to hear. And the question is, is, is it worth living a life without God? That's the question. Especially when you confess him with your mouth, but not with your heart. So the job of the preacher here is to speak truth. But he's coming alongside us. He's not writing this in heaven just saying you're all mess down there. He is writing from this perspective, coming alongside us and trying to exhort us. And exhortation in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, has this tension of encouraging but also showing what's wrong. And we need this tension. I was reading about when John Wesley was preaching on this book, and he wrote in his personal journal this, I began expounding the book of Ecclesiastes. Never before had I such a clear sight, either of its meaning or beauties, all tending to prove this grand truth, that there is no happiness out of God. Or you can think of William Shakespeare. To be or not to be? That's the question. What is this? What is he saying? Hamlet. To die or to live? That's the question. And sometimes we can quote this like with a happy face. But he is considering in the piece suicide. 
He contemplates death, waiting the pain and unfairness of life against the alternative. What is the alternative? Suicide. To not live, which might be worse. He wonders whether it might be preferable to commit suicide, to end one's suffering, and to leave behind the pain and agony associated with living. However, he quickly changes his tune when he considers that nobody knows for sure what happens after death. So much like the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he's presenting the, ten the tension in life after the fall. That's why the sermon is so cleverly entitled to fear or not to fear. That's the sermon. Thank you. To fear or not to fear. That's the question. That's the sermon. That's the message of Ecclesiastes, to fear or not to fear. So my first point is, under the sun, everything is vanity. And think about Psalm 19, how David is describing the sun as a person, saying this, and then he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man, runs its course with joy. It's rising as from the ends of the heavens, and it's circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. What a, what a great picture, describing the glory of God in creation. The sun is like a strong man, a bridegroom, happy, just working, just showing the glory of God. But in Ecclesiastes, we have this. The sun rises, then the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The Hebrew language here is trying to communicate that even the sun is bored, tired. It's not the same as Psalm 19. And there's a tension here, right? Who do we listen to? David or David's son, the preacher? Even the sun gets short of breath. It reminds me of a Greek mythology And according to this Greek mythology, there's a guy named Sisyphus. He is condemned to roll a rock up to the top of a mountain only to have the rock roll back down to the bottom every time he reaches the top and again and again and again and again. Can you imagine this? The problem is not the working itself. The problem is the repetition. It goes on and on and on. And the guy that made this mythology famous was a philosopher, not a Christian one, Albert Camus. And he was writing about this saying, there is but one truly serious philosophical problem and that is suicide. Judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of philosophy. And perhaps you're listening like, what are you preaching? Don't you know there's people considering this outside? Are you encouraging that? I'm just trying to communicate what Ecclesiastes is saying. 
Because if you think about life in Ecclesiastes, we have this. And I thought that that who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Or again, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The Apostle Paul is quoting a Greek philosophy. How do we do life? And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. If there's no God, what's the point? Living a life without God is pointless, it's meaningless, it's vanity, it's futility. But we have more, not about life only, but wisdom. Even wisdom was affected by the fall. Even though we think we know some stuff, when we are confronted by reality and God, we know that we don't know everything. Or even the things we think we know, we don't. Then I saw that there's more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. And yet, I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. What event? Death. A daily reminder. You are going to die. Whether you're wise or fully, you are going to have the same event. You're going to die. Or think about work. So I hated life. Wow. I hated life because all the work done under the sun was grievous to me for all its vanity and a striving after wind. This word grievous is the same word the Lord uses in Genesis to say all the work of Adam will have pain. He's just saying, I see that, that's why I hate life, because it's, it's so painful now. We are under the fall, and because of sin, we are suffering. So again, why vanity? Because of the fall. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, for the creation was subjected to futility, the same word, vanity. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of a childbirth until now. There's pain. There's a groaning in all of our lives. Whether you're a Christian or not, you can feel this because of the fall. Creation was subjected to futility, to vanity. I remember of this guy, he was prime minister to Queen Victoria, and he said, fear makes us feel our humanity. Isn't that right? Fear shows us, is a reminder that we are just mortal human beings. God has no fear, right? And I was, I don't know you guys, I kind of, like to read some newspapers about the Oscar. And I was reading 
about a father that was one of the nominees. And he was like, he had a camera, but he, not a lot of money, but he so loved movies that he had a camera and he had a, a kid, a daughter. And every single year since she was born, she, he was taking videos of her. She, you can see this in YouTube or whatever. She's like in the couch. And he takes the camera, start recording, and asking questions like, what do you like to eat? And the daughter would say like, oh, I like to eat this, this, and this. And then the next year, it changed. I don't like to eat this. Like a teenager saying stuff, you know. Or sometimes he was asking like, what is, what is dreams? Can you explain to me? And you, you can imagine lots of questions like, what, how do you like this or about this? And when she was about nine years old, she said this, I fear life. I am afraid of living. Nine years old. Because there are twists that you don't expect and they can be so difficult. I don't want to have to go through all of that. Isn't it us? All of us fear. That's the only thing that makes us together in the same boat. We all fear. And everybody needs a meaning, a purpose to live. Reminds me of some studies that I was reading about a doctor called Victor Frank. And he was one of the survivors of the Nazi camps. And one of his studies were, was like, for every person that made out of the camps and survived, all of them were able to do this because they were there, living there, but aiming for a future, for a meaning, whether it's life, a job, or a, a spouse or kids that are outside, and I'm hoping just to endure all of this so I can meet them again. Everybody needs a meaning, a purpose. But in the same way that a book cannot read itself, you and I cannot give this meaning to our lives. Perhaps you can endure life, but doesn't mean you will get eternal life through all of this. The same guy, Herman Melville, he said that ignorance is the parent of fear. So if you don't know, that's why you fear because you don't have the knowledge or the control over life. And Ecclesiastes is saying to us, we don't know some stuff. That's why we fear. C.S. Lewis wrote that if there's a God, which there is, we certainly do not relate to him as people on the first floor of a building relate to people on the second floor. Relate to him just like Hamlet relates to Shakespeare. 
we, the characters, might be able to know quite a lot about the playwrights, but only to the degree that the author chooses to put information about himself in the play. We need the author. And that's why the preacher in the... By the end of the book, he says, all I'm writing is based on the words of the truly one shepherd. You can think of Ecclesiastes as one of the books of wisdom. And we have Job, we have Proverbs, we have Ecclesiastes, and each and every one of those have a message, a specific message to us. So if you think of the book of Job, it is the unveiling of the heavenly realms. Isn't that right? Job don't have this information? We have. It's like we are under the sun watching what's going on with Job and having the information that he doesn't. It's the unveiling of the heavenly realms. Ecclesiastes is the opposite. It's the unveiling of the earthly realms. It's showing us that we are living in a world that we cannot understand unless the author, the creator, the preacher, the pastor, the shepherd tells us what is the purpose of this. We were celebrating here in America St. Patrick's Day, right? I was even asking Rob Wood, we were meeting this week, why? Because it's Ireland, right? And we were reading like some of the soldiers came here in the 18th century and brought this tradition. But I just love this quotation by St. Patrick. He says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise. Ecclesiastes is saying, under the sun, all is vanity. That's why we need a Savior that can show us what is above the sun. But not only showing what is there, but a Savior that is able to come to us, with us, before us, behind us, in us, beneath us, above us, on my right, on my left, all around us. That's the kind of Savior we need. Just like Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O oh Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's everybody. Christian, no Christian, we are restless until we find home in God. Otherwise, it's vanity. So, under the sun, everything is vanity. But my second point is, above the sun or under the sun of God, nothing is vanity. Nothing is vanity. Everything is life if you are under the sun of God, if you are in the sun of God. 
You can remember Jesus was speaking the words of God, scripture to these two disciples after the resurrection, and he was literally open scripture from the Old Testament, all that was written about him. I assume it includes Ecclesiastes. So what is Ecclesiastes speaking of Christ to us this morning? We need the Savior just like John the Baptist and the Gospel of John tells us that the one that comes from above to speak the words of God to us. Or think about that, Hebrews chapter 6 we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What is wrong with this text? An anchor is always speaking about the oceans. But our anchor is an anchor above the sun going to the heavenly realms, going to the place of God. Can you imagine this? An anchor upside down going up? That's our message. That's the message of Christianity. That's the gospel message. Or like the apostle Paul says in Colossians, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. What does it mean? Does it mean that I don't have to care about my life, about job, about family, about my children? No, that's the opposite. Because in the following chapter, the apostle Paul is saying, your husbands do this. If you're a spouse, do this. If you have a servant, do this. If you're a Christian, you should obey this. He's saying our perspective should be in God. Because if you, we are searching meaning here under the sun, that's vanity. And we are all going to die without any hope. So think about Christ. Or like the Apostle Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. From the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. In this hope that are safeguarded in heaven, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So how can the Christian endure suffering? Because he is aiming the glory that is about to be revealed. The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who raised again and is coming again to raise us up. Jesus says, Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. <laughs> a greater than Solomon is here. 
Whether you think it's Solomon preaching Ecclesiastes or not, doesn't matter. A greater than all the, the wise man is here. That's Jesus Christ. Not only because he's selling us a message better, but because he lived a life better. And a life better, not because he had no suffering, but because he was able to endure all the suffering and saying, there's hope. And we can join Christ in his suffering and know the vanity of life because he endured that. That's why he is greater than Solomon. I was reading this poem by one of the first World War soldiers, Edward, and he wrote a poem called Jesus of the Scars. And I was like, that's the gospel. He got it. He was speaking of a Jesus Christ, not only that came from above and telling, do this, do this, and do that. He came alongside us and suffered with us and inviting us to join him. He says, the other gods were strong, but you were weak. They robbed, but you stumbled over a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And no God has wounds, but you alone. Do you see the message here? All of this message and gods and culture, all, all everybody trying to fight a redeemer. But it's always do this, do that. Our Lord and Savior came and said, I will do this. I will do that. And you just join me and receive this freely. That's a gift of grace. And suffering is not a problem for us Christians. It is the solution. Thank God for suffering because suffering brought us life in God. That's why the word cannot understand why so many Christians were put on the cross, on fire, persecuted, and they were singing hymns to God while they were dying. But I'm afraid our culture is just trying to preach to us and we are missing the point of the gospel. That's why the Apostle Paul can say about work now in the new creation in Christ, work is not vanity. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toll and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people. Paul, why are you working that hard? Because I know it's not vanity. Because I'm putting my hope in the living God. Or as he says to the Corinthian church, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not vanity. Can you see this? The Christian message in the new creation, although under the sun we know all is vanity, in Christ, everything we do is not in vain. God is glorified, and God will make a point.
What is the conclusion for us? The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We have this confidence. God, the righteous judge, he will bring every deed into judgment. Sometimes we understand it, sometimes we don't. But it's not about understanding, it's about trusting. What is the fear of God? What is fear God? Fear God is something like a trembling trust. Because we have texts in the Old Testament saying, fear not, fear not, fear not, all over and over and over, fear not. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, we were given a spirit not of fear. The Apostle John says, love has no fear. But at the same time, fear God. You know this guy, Franklin Roosevelt, familiar with you? He said this, the only thing we have left in life is to fear fear itself. I think he's wrong. The only thing we have to fear is God himself. So Christians are not fearless people. The difference is that we fear the right thing or the right being. Because if you fear God, you fear nothing else. But if you don't fear God, you should fear everything else. I want to say to you this morning, before we finish, that because of this message, because we are living under this tension, under the sun, we have hope, but at the same time, we are living this. And we have all the effects of the fall, all the applications, all the implications. I want to tell you that if you're suffering this morning, if you're struggling with sin, God knows it. And not in the knowledge that he is in heaven and he can't understand you. Remember, he came and he endured it. He knows what it's like to suffer. So you're not alone. You are not alone. So you can lament. Lament is a pivotal part of a Christian life. That's why we pray. Prayer of confession lament. Because although we have hope in God, and because of our hope in God, we can lament. We can cry. We can pray. We can, can confess. Lament, some theologians say, is a weak part of our man kindness. I agree. And we pray and we lament, not because we are strong, but because we recognize we are weak and we need a Savior. 
at the same time, I just, we have to have eternity before us. Oh, how long sometimes we are suffering because we are only facing life with the perspective under the sun and we cannot see God. That's why we are mourning most of the time. Jonathan Edwards, preacher, philosopher, perhaps one of the greatest theologians of the United States, he said this, Lord, stamp eternity in my eyeballs. Can you imagine how you would live with that reality? Always seeing eternity before you. And you can say, just like the psalmist, when I am afraid, I will trust you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the message of Ecclesiastes. Thank you for the reminder that apart from you, there's no life. All is vanity. But in Christ, we have a life hidden and guarded in heaven for us. That's why we can't endure and face all the trials and sufferings in this life. I pray this morning, Lord, that in my life and in this church, all the people here, we would cling to Christ and trust him. Not with a strong faith, but with a trembling trust, fearing God, loving him and reverence and obedience knowing that he will judge and will bring forth every deed, whether good or evil. We trust you. We love you. Help us to live here under the fall, but knowing that we were redeemed in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we end with song, um, remember at the beginning of the service the illustration, black velvet, diamond that we can actually walk out of today if you know Jesus Christ we can walk out today with joy an immensity of joy because Jesus has conquered and now our lives are not in vain but I also want to say if it, as Kaiki said if there are people struggling if you're hurting if you have questions even about Christianity uh, there are going to be people up here more than willing to talk to you after uh, after we're done singing and pray with you and pray for you um, some of you who've been around for a while, you are going to remember this song. It's been a while since we've sung this song. And we're, I'm going to say the benediction in the midst of the song. So once the song is done, you are dismissed. But it's upbeat, and there's joy to be had because our God has rescued us. And as we go out into this world, we have the light. We have hope. Praise him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.